0: Gordon Stewart, and this is episode two of Tales from Weird Scotland. The Light of the Seven Hunters. The light burns, the light fades. The light burns, the light fades. On and off it goes, piercing the gloom like a torch from the heavens, only to be swallowed once again by the inky night. On and off it goes to this day, a guiding light, a warning. It can be said that in some ways gravestones are the kin of lighthouses, lonely monoliths on the edge of a great unknown. They remind us of something just beneath the surface, of death close at hand, a signal to our fragile mortality. In the bitter chill of the North Atlantic, signalling through storm and spray, the Elin Moor Lighthouse likewise serves as a gravestone, a memorial to the last known whereabouts of its three lost keepers, James Duckett. Thomas Marshall, and Donald MacArthur. Alan Moore is the largest of the Flannon Isles, which lie off the west coast of the Isle of Lewis in the Outer Hebrides. The Isles take their name from St. Flannan, who built a small stone chapel there in 7 AD. Though locally, the islands are also known by a different name. Seafarers call them the Seven Hunters, A title referring to the many mariners' lives lost in the treacherous waters around those dark figures of rock. Seven hunters who stalked the mist and spray of the grim and grey Atlantic. There are tales, too, of a phantom which roams those desolate islands. A ghostly presence which unsettles travellers and ensures none stay long. It is possible that this phantom is the once benevolent spirit of St. Flannan, curdled by exposure to untold centuries of howling winds, ferocious storms and unending nights on these outcrops of rock at the edge of the world. The highest point in the Flannan Isles is on Moor rising some 88 metres above sea level. It was on this blasted peak, at the edge of the great seas, that the lighthouse was built. The intention was to protect those sailing near, to help guide them through the unforgiving waters. Though, of course, this would then rob the seven hunters of their prey and their reputation. And to all things there is a price. And whether that price be gold or blood was for the Seven Hunters to decide. The lighthouse was designed by David Allen Stevenson, cousin of the world-renowned author Robert Louis Stevenson. It was built at the end of the 19th century, and the construction was no mean feat. All of the required materials had to be hauled up a 45-metre sheer cliff face from supply boats below, each treading that thin and merciless line between the unforgiving rocks and the wild Atlantic. The light was first lit in 1899, and the lighthouse is still operational today, weathering raging storms and churning seas. It has been automated since the 1970s, but until that point the light had to be kept and tended by human hands to provide safe passage to those in the treacherous seas. Among the first men to be appointed lighthouse keepers there by the Northern Lighthouse Board were James Duckett, Thomas Marshall and Donald MacArthur. The first indication that something was amiss was not a visible sign, but rather a visible absence. On the 15th of December in the year 1900, the steamer Archtor, travelling from Philadelphia to Leith, recorded in its log that the light of Elan Moor was not visible, and noted that this was during a bout of poor weather when its light would have been most required. The captain of the Archtor relayed this troubling news to the Northern Lighthouse Board when the ship docked three days later. However, the Hesperus, the relief vessel to the Moor Lighthouse, was unable to launch from Lewis immediately due to bad weather and so didn't land on the island until noon on Boxing Day, nearly two weeks after the light was initially reported to be out. The sight that greeted the crew of the relief vessel upon landing was an eerie one. Wind whipped at the low grass clinging to the salt sprayed rock and there was not a soul visible. Boxes of supplies, over a week old, sat on the lonely eastern landing stage, the time having long since passed that they should have been hauled to cover in safety from the elements. One of the ship's crew noted that, Not seeing the lighthouse flag flying, we thought they did not see us coming. In an attempt to summon the keepers, Captain Harvey of the Hesperus sounded the ship's whistle. This having no effect other than breaking the eerie stillness for a moment. Captain Harvey then fired a signal flare. but this too elicited no response. It was clear that the three men were not near at hand. The first ashore that day was Joseph Moore, an assistant keeper to the lighthouse himself. He had been rotated back to Lewis and was due to be taken the place of one of the missing men. He made his way alone up the winding stone path to the lighthouse, his sense of unease growing with each step. The keepers should have met the relief boat at the dock, or at least indicated some sign that they were aware of their arrival. The silence that had greeted them only seemed to intensify when Moore entered the keeper's cottage attached to the base of the lighthouse tower. The clocks in the keeper's cottage had stopped. In the kitchen, a single chair lay on its back, as if someone had risen in a hurry. Two sets of oilskins were missing, yet one remained, indicating that although two of the missing men had been dressed for the elements, the third had not. Stranger still, when the rest of the crew joined Moore, it was discovered that the light in the tower was clean and full, ready for use. Such a juxtaposition of order and disarray confounded them. There were no answers to be found that day, only further mysteries. Among the relief crew, now become a search party, was Robert Muirhead, a superintendent of the Northern Lighthouse Board. Muirhead had himself originally recruited the three missing men, and knew them all personally. The party soon discovered that the western landing stage had been severely damaged. Moorhead noted in his report that the damage was difficult to believe unless actually seen. Upon returning to the lighthouse and ensuring that the light was lit and functional, lest the seven hunters resume their old ways, Moorhead took up the keeper's logbook and examined the final entries inscribed by Thomas Marshall. On the 12th of December, the log told of Severe winds, the likes of which I have never seen before in twenty years. Marshall went on to note that Thomas Duckett had been very quiet, and Donald MacArthur had been weeping. Both men were seasoned lighthouse keepers, and MacArthur had a reputation as a man with an unstable temperament and a keenness for brawling, which made these entries all the more unsettling. The following day, Marshall wrote that the storm still raged outside, and that all three men had been praying. Curiously... No storms had been reported in the area during the period that Marshall claimed the island had been ravaged by unheard of winds. The final entry in the log simply stated, Storm ended. Sea calm. God is over all. These words were written on the 15th of December, the very day that the Archtor had sailed past and noted that the light was not operational. Whatever happened on that island to those men surely had taken place on that day. There is an old proverb, When the wind is in the east, tis good for neither man nor beast. Given that the log noted hellish winds, and from the damage done to the western landing, it's possible that those howling furies, which were lately calmed, had risen once more and somehow driven the men to their untimely deaths. Maybe they were guided to misadventure out in the storm, in some doomed attempt to save unsecured equipment, and lost to the violence and hunger of the seas that day. Or, perhaps, the men heard an ancient voice in that unnatural storm. Perhaps the raging winds and crashing waves stirred something dark within their hearts. The loneliness and isolation of the place, compounded by the phantom storm at last compelling one of the Keepers, beyond his reason, to commit some monstrous act against his fellow men, and then seek the contrition of the sea, allowing the waves to swallow him whole as penance for his crime. But the answer to this story, we will never know. The bodies never were found. Perhaps they're down there still, drawn beneath the waves by the seven hunters, the bloody prize of one final hunt. Fathoms down, eternally forced to perform a perversion of their duties for some obscene lighthouse in the cold crushing depths. A broken mirror reflection of the one they tended in life, its green and black light glimmering in the dark signalling forever to eyes unknown. Or maybe their mortal remains are still drifting with the tides, slowly making their way home. That was Gordon Stewart. Check out his blog at borderlandscotland.wordpress.com. The readings of this episode and the previous one were recorded in Armchair Books, 72-74 to Westport, Edinburgh. This episode was written, recorded and radiophonically designed by me, Nick Cole-Hamilton. With script help from Sylvia Benitez, Saran Walker and Robert Swift. This is a You Better Run Media production. Join us again soon for more Tales from Weird Scotland.